everyone and welcome back to the Triumph Coffee Break podcast. My name is Pietro Giampa and I'm a postdoctoral researcher at Triumph, Canada's Particle Accelerator Center. However, for the next little while, I'm simply going to be your host for this exciting podcast. I'm very excited this is really happening. Triumph finally has a podcast series, so let's go. If you're a first-time listener and you don't know much about this podcast, here's what you're in for. This is a science podcast, but with a twist. Not only do we want to share the wonder of discovery science and the exciting scientific journey, we also want to give you a unique look at this scientific facility through the stories of the diverse employees that make Triumph a world-class facility. Each episode, I sit down for a chat over coffee with a different colleague of mine to discuss the world of physics, its many shades and colors, and let the story flow. From the study of subatomical particles, to medical physics, to the study of galaxies far, far away, the scientific palette that Triumph offers is very rich and definitely not lacking in content. So episode by episode, we'll do our best to cover as much as possible as we see Triumph through the eyes of the people who work here. It is through their stories that you will learn not only about the science, but also about the personal path and challenges that people face in their journey that have led them to this beautiful facility. So whether you know everything or nothing at all about Triumph, a place where the boundaries of science and technology development are pushed on a daily basis, well, this podcast is for you. Without any further ado, mugs at the ready, Let's get started with this episode of the Triumph Coffee Break podcast titled Harmony and Ariel. Okay, so here we go with another episode of our podcast. Today with me is Asita Pereira, who is a project engineer at Triumph working with the Aerial Project. Welcome, Asita. Thank you. Uh, so why don't you talk to us about your role at Triumph? Let's start with that. Let's just warm up with your role at Triumph. Yeah, sounds good. So my current role at Triumph, um, I'm a project engineer and um, a, um, a lead engineer for the Aerial uh, Proton Target Station. Um, and here I get to, so this is a new role in that um, a new role has been created for the project and I've transitioned from being a project manager for all of Ariel to being um, this lead engineer for the Proton Target Station. And it allows me to transition into um, to coordinating more of the engineering content. And the reason for my change is that I really wanted to get back to my roots with engineering. And um, I love project management and it'll always be part of what I'm doing. Um, I mean, those skills um, will always be with me and I'll be able to use them. And um, I'll be able to offer even more value by bringing my engineering right. skills into the context. Right, because we yeah. caught you right at a transition period. That's right. Right, because you mm -hmm. just moved from project management to project engineer. That's right. I was in the PM role for six years and set up a lot of the um, the project management content for Arial 2. Um, I set up a lot of the schedules and a lot of the, the tools that we use for, for tracking metrics for the project. And yeah, so that's, that's well developed now. And um, I'm not going to say it's in maintenance mode because there's always work that um, is happening um, around it, but uh, the structure is there. And um, I feel like I've made a great contribution to the, the PM content of Ariel. And, uh, you know, I'm ready for that next challenge. Uh, 
Fantastic. Me, yeah. And mm-hmm. before we get into the detail, um, for, for those of you who are not familiar, Aerial, which is now the flagship for Triumph, uh, stands for Advanced Rare Isotope Laboratory. And it's the only multi-user facility in the world for producing rare isotopes. And some of the application for this can really change your day-to-day life and improve science in many ways, from, from accelerator science to quantum materials to nuclear and particle physics, nuclear chemistry, cryogenics, magnetic, high vacuum, and all that kind of technology technology, engineering, so much that Ariel is going to bring to the world. Uh, and you got a chance to to help make that a reality and you got a chance to shape that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing specifically right now for Ariel? Yeah, sure. So in my current role, um, let's let's say, let's give it a time span of a year. Over the next year, um, working um, with APTW, I'll be able to help develop the concepts for what the proton target station will look like. And, and our proton target station will be very similar to the electron target station, but there will be some unique differences, primarily with the, the actual target module. And also we will have a, a medical isotope station built in to the, the proton target station. We have two new targets stations coming in so which means more production more activity more science that's uh, right yeah so uh, yeah basically the uh, the addition of these two target stations to the triumph facility allows us to to triple the the beam output basically of, of the lab and I like that you mentioned proton target and electron target because I feel for the the, f- the people that are familiar with Triumph knows that we have a psychotron, we accelerate protons and, and so on. But very few people maybe know that we also have a linear electron accelerator. And so it's kind of nice to know that we're going to have multiple target, p- possibility to use multiple beams and create even more strange and new isotopes. Uh, that sounds very exciting. It is exciting, absolutely. Did you get an opportunity to to contribute to to both stations? Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I mean, the past six years, I have been primarily focused on the on the electron target station, and um, you know, it's a bit of a bigger picture approach. Where in the PM role, I was looking at the entire, not just the project, but the program. And and the Aerial Two program has multiple components to it, basically sub projects. And um, so the first phase of aerial it's four phases um, and they're not necessarily we're not doing them sequentially necessarily the reality is there's different aspects of the project that are at different levels of maturity in terms of design and and design complexity and so we were able to for example complete phase three first because its design was more mature and we've actually completed building it and we're now commissioning that part of the project. Whereas for um, the electron target station, we're really in the heart of the design of that content. And mostly because it's more technologically um, challenging. unique. Yeah, unique. challenging and unique. That's um, Yeah, um, whereas uh, with our um, with our phase three, which was mostly beam lines, it was m- more of a known technology. The electron target station, well, there's no lab in the world that will be operating at the levels that will be operating. How incredible is that? Yeah. <laughs> and and so it's kind of fascinating that you get to basically work with two completely different situations right now because you have one side, you are commissioning, you're ready, you're getting there, and the other one instead, it's back to design and, and to constructing. How, how how do you enjoy this this two completely different aspects? Yeah, um, I mean, they're, they're quite different. Um, you know, I kind of relate this a little bit to, okay, so I'm going to relate this to one of my outside of work experiences where um, I'm an ultra marathon trail runner in one aspect of my running. 
And psychologically, during an ultramarathon race, because they're quite long, we kind of go through these different phases. You know, at the beginning of the at the beginning of the race, the first couple of hours, um, you're you're feeling fairly fresh, and things are feeling good, and you've got lots of time to to get things done. And then in the middle part of the race, those middle few hours, um, you know, things are starting to feel difficult. And, you know, you really have to stay committed and work through you, it. You feel the grind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then towards the end of the the race, um, you know, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, this would be related to, you know, commissioning. You've, you know, you've built your facility and now you're starting to commission. So I can relate, you know, with Ariel with Ariel 2 and the Electron Target Station, we're in that grind stage right now, right? Where we're working through the design, we're working out the issues, we're discovering new issues, finding solutions, um, where we're very much in that design phase. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there's a little bit more of that ahead. Over the next um, year to two years, we'll be releasing a lot of the designs and then moving into the building phase of that uh, aspect of the project. And this is specifically for, for um, the second target? That, well, yes. So it's uh, actually both target stations for Ariel 2. There will be some overlap. Okay. There, there will be some overlap. Um, we will start with the electron target station, and then the, the proton target station is staged to be a little bit later. But the reality is some components may be um, purchased together because we're trying to keep as much common between the two target stations as possible. Yeah. yeah in fact, we want the two target modules to be interchangeable with the exception of the, um, the actual proton and electron-specific equipment. Right. You have now been working on the aerial project for, for a while. Yeah, six um, plus years. Six plus years. Yeah. When you started, did you feel like it was a learning experience that you had to learn almost on the job, on the fly, some aspect to it? Did you get some mentorship or did you feel like you just walked in and you were just amazed by the project, but you were able to just bring your own expertise immediately and just run with it? There was definitely learning, definitely learning. And I, I feel like um, both um, responses apply to me, where I was definitely very excited about the project, and I, and I, 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 I did get into it. Um, but I came from a completely different discipline. I came from the automotive industry, and I transferred a lot of project management skills from the automotive world to the lab. Um, and help build the PM content. And it, and because uh, the domain knowledge was completely new to me, there was a lot of learning. Um, it took, I would say, several years to really become comfortable with even the terminology and understanding some of the, the basic concepts so that I could be effective in my role. Do, do you feel that the, uh, the group, the aerial group, was the perfect platform, I guess, to, to go through this learning experience and to blossom you out in, this, in your current status? Yeah, it um, it certainly has been. It's been a great platform to work with. You know, as you mentioned previously, I uh, I have had quite good mentorship in my role. In the first part of my role as PM, I was under in the engineering division under Remy, and then for the later portion of my PM role, I was under Eric under the the new project management office, and both of them provided. I mean, they're quite different in terms of their mentorship, and at the same time, they provided enough guidance for me to explore the challenges on my own and find my own solutions. And, you know, I really appreciate the, the guidance that I've gotten from both, of, from both of them. It's been invaluable and helped me, um, you know, form my own decisions for, for how this path was going to unfold. And but they gave me a lot of freedom. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the guidance of, okay, I want you to do this. It was, okay, this is what we need to, this is our objective. Um, you figure out go, how to do it. Um, and I like that. 
let's just take a step back and 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 let's start with your uh, with your academics. Where did you study? And what did you study? Yeah, so uh, I studied mechanical engineering from University of Waterloo. And to really understand where this all started, uh, I'm going to go back to when I was maybe five or six years old. Okay. Um, yeah, because uh, from a very young age, I was always with my dad figuring out how to repair things and helping him fix something in the house or fix something on the car. I was like I was like his buddy right beside, beside him, handing him tools when we were working on stuff. And that got me into... Um, you know, just the uh, exploring how to take things apart and fix things and be uh, creative. And, and, you know, we couldn't necessarily always uh, buy a new thing every time. So it was, okay, how can we fix this, right? And this is what we've got. How, how can we fix it? So that curiosity for, for technology, for mechanical engineer, uh, or engineering in general started ticking when you were fairly young. Exactly, exactly. And it, it translated, uh, you know, when I was in high school and even before that in junior high school and so forth, the projects that I took on um, were all about exploring. I wanted to understand how things worked. And, um, you know, that was the essence behind me going into engineering was, uh, you know, I want to understand and I want to know how to design things. I know I want to know how things were designed and how I can design them differently, better, uh, depending on what the need was. Um, so, I mean, an example is um, when I was in my final year of high school, um, I was also always involved in science fairs. And, um, you know, I had the idea to make a science project um, which had to do with eddy currents and automotive, like designing a braking system based on, based on eddy currents. Um, and, um, you know, I did very well with this science fair project. Um, you know, I presented it locally where I was studying in Nova Scotia. I won the regionals, uh, went to the Canada-wide science fair and, wow. and uh, competed there. And it was just, you know, one of those first projects that... Um, you know, allowed me to explore something a little bit more complex that people weren't familiar with. And um, yeah, and it kind of catapulted me into... Into, um, into engineering. Exactly. So you, you st everything started with you and your dad uh, fixing things. Yeah. And that sparked your interest. And, and just to paint a full picture, uh, where was this? Where, where were you fixing things with your dad when you were young? Where, where, where are you guys from? That's a fun question because I was born in the UK and then when I was six years old, moved to Calgary with my parents and then to Nova Scotia. So I've, wow. I've lived in many places in my childhood. Um, I would say I grew up in Nova Scotia because that's where I did most of my schooling. Yeah, but in terms of more specific, in terms of where it was, it was at home. It was in our garage. It was... Um, you know, it was it was doing... Very much an in-house Yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. Um even figuring out how to build a bike, right? Like, um, I remember one of my bikes I had as a kid, um, my dad uh, gave me this project where, you know, I had this BMX bike and it was a single speed bike and he found this uh, multi-gear rear hub and he was like, um, here, you can figure out how to make a rear wheel with this. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those things where, okay, I got to figure that out, right? And how to, how to string and align a rear wheel when I was, I don't know, eight years old, something like that. So, but that yeah. clearly worked because that kind yeah. of sparked your, your interest. So flash forward to when you're, I would say, a young adult and you have to go to university yeah. or college. Yeah. Um, where did you go? 
Uh, so I went to University of Waterloo. Um, so I yet had, another move. <laughs> another move, exactly. This was my big move away from home because my parents were in Nova Scotia, and I, I moved to Waterloo um, to go to, to do my undergrad. Um, yeah, and I mean, Waterloo was uh, definitely a challenging place. Um, the the way the academics lined up between um, Nova Scotia and, um, and Ontario, uh, the standards aren't quite the same. And so, um, you know, the first four years at, years at Waterloo were a little bit challenging. Um, and it allowed me to grow into a stronger human being because I had to face those challenges and, and work through them. Um, and, uh, you know, I finished, I'm really happy with how I finished at Waterloo. Um, and, but it wasn't an easy path, right? It was, it was a challenging one. Um, you know, up to that point in my life, that was the most challenging thing I had been through. Um, yeah, but but you got through it, and yeah. and a lot of people feel that way, and and it's encouraging to hear that, uh, even if you feel that it's challenging, you just push it through, and you can make it happen, and you make a career out of it. Absolutely, so it's fantastic. I want to introduce something. You told me a story uh, one time, which I want to bring up here because I think it's it's incredible. When you were an undergraduate, you got a chance to partake in a car racing project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I feel like. There's a little bit of connection with that project to what you're doing today. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, so I got involved in a student um, project called uh, Formula SAE um, about halfway through my degree program and started to contribute in terms of just helping out with the team. And by my final year, I was the team captain for the project. And the project is basically um, student. The, a, a formula has been set up by the um, the automotive um, association called the Society of Automotive Engineers. It's called Formula SAE. They've designed a, a formula that the teams have to design a car to meet, and then the teams from different universities will all compete at um, an event. And at the time when I graduated, the event was in Detroit. Um, and at that event, there were about 130 schools from around the world who competed. Um, my team did really well. Um, for the first time at Waterloo, we won the design competition. So there's many aspects to the event. There's a design competition. There are uh, several dynamic events. There's a cost event. There's a, they want to understand how you've built the business model for the team. Um, so we were financially yeah. responsible so for it So this wasn't well. as simple as, well, simple in quotation mark as building a car. This was everything from f funding to ma budget management correct. to a business pr uh, structure and plan. That's correct. Unbelievable. That's correct. So this was the, the first really large project that I had taken on in my life. Um, yeah, even the funding aspect, you know, being able to do a presentation. I remember being in Mike Lazardis' office of RIM at the time and, you know, doing a pitch for title sponsorship for the project, which was, you know, I had never even thought about doing something like that in my life. But it did all come together. And, um, you know, that project was a highlight of my un whole university experience because we achieved something so great. Um you know, the university recognized me with some awards for it. And it, the real reward was doing well at the competition, my whole team enjoying that, that part of it. And it was a real team effort. It wasn't an individual effort. And it was the first time that I had really led a team and, you know, was able to develop leadership skills, which was the springboard to the rest of my career. Right, because yeah. mm -hmm. that's, that's what I remember. I remember the story vividly because... Yeah. Uh, 
I remember the parallel that this just basically launched your career in a in a in a in, a, in an odd way. Yeah. Um, you know, flash forward, um, you know, a few years later, then you have to transfer basically those skills to your job. Absolutely. Uh, incredible. Absolutely. Let's talk about that step uh, from your undergraduate all the way to walking through the doors of Triance for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, you finished your undergraduate, you have an, an engineering degree. How did you figure out what was next and how did Triumph become that next step? Yeah, so I mean, that's, um, as with most people, I mean, careers are a bit of a journey. Sometimes we, we don't know how it's going to involve 10 years into the future or so. Um, and so um, I started out actually, you know, coming out of university, being heavily involved in uh, building a student racing team. I wanted to get into, uh, I wanted to be a race engineer for a professional racing team. That was my dream coming out of university. And um, I did know a few graduates from Waterloo who had been leaders of Formula SE, who had landed jobs like that at some point in their career. And as, as sexy as that was, uh, when I saw the reality of what life looked like in a role like that, it was less appealing to me because um, my life was important to me as well. And so I, want, I still, I, I loved cars. I mean, my whole, uh, my whole university career, even before my university career, I had always loved cars and I wanted to be involved in the, in the design of cars. And I followed two of my friends from university who are still two of my best friends um, out to British Columbia. So yet another move. So An we go from move. England to Calgary from Calgary to all the way to Nova Scotia. That's right. Then Ontario, and yeah. now we're here in British Columbia. That's right. And um, I ended up working for one of the companies that my friend was working for, which was a BC Hydro consulting company. And I liked the work, but I wasn't passionate about it. And within uh, six or eight months, I mean, I love the lifestyle in BC. That's one of the things I discovered about um, being here. Um, I did get offered uh, what I would say is a dream job for me back in Ontario, uh, working in the automotive industry for one of the major automotive suppliers that was quite an innovative design house. So um, I took that job. I left BC and moved back to Toronto. Just um, to add to the flow of, yeah, of, of exactly. movement. I have definitely driven across the country a few times, <laughs> which is amazing, by the way, but I, I won't. Oh, I highly recommend yeah. it for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I drove from, from Ottawa all the way to Vancouver when I moved to Triumph, and I, I love that drive. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, when I really sunk my heels into my career was in that role um, where I was um, developing um, – stamped and welded assemblies for um, that were designed in, a, in, in quite a sophisticated way for the automotive industry. Um, but one of the things that after leaving BC that I really missed was the lifestyle of being here. Even though I was in a job that I loved, um, I missed the lifestyle. And so I was looking for opportunities to come back. And within a year and a half, um, I uh, landed a job with a, uh, an electric and hybrid vehicle company in BC. And, so uh, yet another switch. I, I feel like I'm keep, uh, bringing this up, but it, it, this is a point that I really like uh, because this people that work at Triumph they just they have such a diverse background, and I, and I want people to appreciate that sometimes you have to move quite a lot to figure out what you want to do, what what is your uh, final position and your role in life, and and it's okay, it's normal, and and you shouldn't be afraid of doing it. Absolutely. In fact, we need to try a few things to figure out what we love. 
And um, I mean, my journey is certainly an example of that. And so, yeah, so I came back to British Columbia. And then for the following eight years, um, I was uh, I started out as a design engineer for that organization. But within a year and a half, they put me in a leadership position as a team lead for mechanical engineering. And we were developing electric and hybrid vehicles. You know, that took me for the following eight years. Um, it's all good and bad. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I had a lot of good experiences with that company, but I, there were also some negative ones in that um, I was mentally getting burnt out. Um, and so I knew I, I knew I wanted to change something in my life. And um, I didn't want to simply take another role that was similar because they do exist. Um, so I, I took a year off of working. Yeah. And um, C- I, can I ask at what age um, was your year off? Uh, good question. Uh, let me see here. I was 37. So at 37 years old. Yeah. You take a year off. Yeah. You're like. I need to figure out a few things yeah. so that I can refocus myself and put myself in a position where I can contribute at the best of my capability. Was that the idea or were simply like, I just needed some time off uh, to regroup? Well, I didn't know how I wanted to contribute again, right? I knew that I had, I knew that I wanted to offer value to society and to the world. Um, and I, I didn't know how. And um, it's, an, it's interesting that, so my, ma- my path over that year went down the path of yoga. I was introduced to a yoga mentor uh, and I was on a yoga retreat in Thailand with this mentor. And uh, when I came back, I was out of work, he offered me a mentorship program. And he took 12 students in for a period of several months um, to study yoga. This is where I got an opportunity to really delve in and discover myself in a different way that I had never really explored before. And uh, yeah, what came out of it was that, um, you know, I did rediscover myself in a different way. I also got coached from some friends at uh, Lululemon over that period of time, and they helped me crystallize a vision for my life. You know, I had heard about the law of attraction before, but, um, you know, it hadn't really sunk in what it means. And the reality is I was actually living the law of attraction by creating a strong vision. And within a few months of creating that strong vision, pieces just started to fall into place. Um, I did my yoga teacher training. You know, I applied for this role at Triumph and got it. Uh, Lululemon made me an ambassador um, for running and yoga at one of their stores. Um, these are all things that I that were kind of dreams, but I, you know, I hadn't imagined them all happening as they did. So things started falling into place. Correct. You feel like... This everything I envision is starting to take shape. That's right. And the core of my, my vision was offering loving kindness to all living beings. And I wanted to embody that in all areas of life that I really could. And so, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me about Triumph was that their, their vision is really about benefiting humanity. You know, we're, we're advancing science for humanity. And in particular with the, with the health sciences, that really stood out to me that, you know, we're, we're making a difference for people. Right. Let's talk a, a little bit about that. You mentioned that one of the attractive side of Triumph was their mandate and their mission. Um, h- how did you earn about Triumph? How was the process to get started at Triumph? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, when I was in my previous role, uh, Triumph was not quite on the radar. Like I... Um, I, I didn't know a lot about physics labs, and I didn't know that we had such a substantial lab here in, in Vancouver. 
I actually heard about it through my younger brother who lived in Vancouver. And he had um, pursued a job with another local company that developed cyclotrons. Um, and, and they had a relationship with Triumph. Um, what a unique coincidence. Indeed. Indeed. So that's really how I learned about Triumph was through my brother. And in my year off, you know, I, uh, I, I did a bit of studying on my own about what Triumph was. And, and it, it seemed like an organization that was really well aligned with my vision. And you said something very interesting that you, you didn't realize how big this, the laboratory was. And sometimes it's true. You, you really have to see it to truly understand how much uh, science and not just science is really going on in that laboratory. So let's talk about your start at Triumph because you have a background in engineering. You have a background in project management. You have a background in, in the uh, auto industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet here you are walking through the door of a very physics-orientated laboratory. Uh, walk us through your first few days. What was it, what was it like to deal with um, scientists all of a sudden and all the craziness that involves a laboratory like this? Yeah, no, that, that's very true. There certainly is uh, a little bit of craziness. Um, yeah, there's quite a few different personalities and, and different approaches to, to doing things. And um, you know, initially it was just being open to experiencing everyone's point of view. And that's really important to me is um, being able to communicate um, on plane with someone. And that plane might be different for each person. And, and especially coming to a lab where we do have a lot of different personalities, that's really important to be able to um, meet someone at their level and communicate, you know, whatever level that is. Um, and so it was really practice for me in that regard in terms of just human interaction, developing r- rapport. And, and initially it wasn't easy. It took, it took a little while, I would say, for, you know, the team to accept me as someone new coming into the team. Um, and, uh, you know, to develop a confidence in, in um, the team to develop a confidence in my abilities to help them. But once I did start helping them and they, they saw the results, um, that rapport built very quickly. Yeah, w- once yeah. you, and, and this is true, I would say, in almost all jobs, but uh, it, it is certainly true in, in, in the physics community. One, once you earn that trust, you're, you're in, uh, but at the beginning, you have to, you have to, show to people that you, you got to earn your, tr- you know, the trust of the people around you, which, well, again, it's, it's a pretty common uh, thing, I guess, across, across jobs, but sometimes physicists can be a bit particular in how they get to that trust level. But it's great to hear that fairly quickly you were able to walk into those steps. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And so you, you started working at Triumph. We can already draw some parallel from your uh, knowing what your position at Triumph is today uh, and, and hearing a little bit about your stories. We can we can certainly draw some parallels and, and can understand where certain things that help you out to get to Triumph and whatnot. But uh, are there any particular life experience or passions that um, were helpful when you translated back to your work? I know you do, for instance, a lot of, uh, of meditation, lots of yoga. You mentioned you're a very hardcore runner. <laughs> what did you bring from your own personal experience into Triumph that you perhaps haven't mentioned already? Yeah, I mean, one example I can give is even just the... We have, there's many different ways we can arrive at work. And one of the ways I've chosen to arrive is to walk through the forest, which is just adjacent to our property. It's like a moving meditation coming into work where I can observe just one thing. Uh, depending on the day, it might be listening to the birds or the animals or the, you know, the wind and the canopy. 
Um, you know, I remember this vivid experience of um, a summer day where it had rained overnight and the um, the huckleberries were out. And I remember, you know, tasting a huckleberry that was soaked in rainwater and it was just this amazing experience. Um, and, you know, that leaves uh, me in a, in a state of calmness when I arrive to work, uh, calmness and centeredness um, so that I can have an, an effective and efficient day. And it, it's a part of, I would say, mental health in terms of preparing myself for my work day by walking through the forest. And it's the same thing at the end of the day. For whatever reason, if there's something that I'm wound up about, I'm able to um, to work that off by walking through the forest, re-engaging with nature, and it gives me a bit of a mental separation between my work day and my, my personal life afterwards, which I think is really healthy. Um, and uh, it all relates for me being more effective during my hours at work. Yeah, it's truly incredible to have Pacific Spirit uh, Park right there. We're very lucky. Uh, Take your lunch breaks there. It's just uh, wonderful. Yeah. You entered a discussion that was kind of interesting. So sometimes people have a skewed vision, I would say, of what the academic or research world, I call it work balance. I know you have a different definition and we'll get to it. Uh, But I I like to think that the vision is actually opposite in the sense that scientists and everybody around the scientists, they tend to work so much because they're so passionate about what they do. And, and and you mentioned it earlier, sometimes you tend to burn yourself out. You found a way to work around that. You found a way to find balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, you mentioned the word balance, and I like to use the word harmony um, because I think that with passion and the different things that um, we want to engage with in our lives, there is some harmony you know, at any point in time that is achieved. And that harmony might shift based on our passions at the time, but it's usually a little bit unbalanced. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we understand when, uh, where the bounds are. Um, but yes, I mean, in terms of my, my own experience, I have found that my time at Triumph has allowed me to have a really effective time at work and also have space for, um, you know, how I start my day um, and arrive at work and what I, how I get home and, and what I do in my personal life after work. You know, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm um, a bit of a running athlete, an amateur athlete. And, you know, it's allowed me to, to train effectively as well. And, you know, all of those experiences, whether it's running or practicing yoga, they, they help me have experiences that actually relate to all aspects of life and work. And a lot of it is, is facing challenges. Uh, things are not always easy. Um, for example, run training is, you know, when you're doing a track workout and, and you're working hard, um, things feel challenging. Um, I mean, the most easy way I can represent it is, uh, you know, uh, the feeling of wanting to quit. And by working through those different uh, activities, um, you learn how to work your way through those difficult situations. And the reality is life is full of difficult situations, right? And how are we going to respond when they show up? If you can work through it in your workout or on the yoga mat, then, you know, there's a good chance you're going to be able to work through it in life as well. And the same thing happens at work with a lot of the things we're doing here at Triumph. They're not easy things. And, and, and I like that they're challenging. That's the reason I'm here. And, and right. These... I, I would say exactly that. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is so cutting edge and, and so brand new. No, most of what we do is something that nobody has done before by nature, right? That's right. So that, that level of difficulty that comes in. That's right. And having these other practices has helped me know that I can work through it. Right. 
It's um, knowing that I'm not going to quit. I'm going to work through it. I'm going to figure out how to solve this problem, one problem at a time. Take it one step at a time. You know, my running coach always, when we're on the track, is always telling us to focus on the lap that you're on. Focus on the interval that you're on. Don't worry that there's 18 more coming. Just fo- just get through this one, and then we'll worry about that one afterwards. And obviously, like, at work, I do planning for long-term and short-term. Um, but at the same time, um, it's working through the problem that you've got on the table right now. And the lab itself helps you so much in the sense that the, everybody has the, this attitude that we all help each other. We kind of pick, itself, pick each other up uh, when needed. So it's, it's great to be in that kind of environment where you know you, you, uh, you can count on, on, on the next person. That's a, uh, that's a really important point because it's a point about community. And community is a really um, important part of my life. I'm, I'm really happy that we have that at work. Um, that's also something I contribute to outside of work. Um, I'm a volunteer run leader for um, East Van Run Crew, and I have uh, helped with other, other run crews around the city. Um, I have volunteered my time teaching yoga classes in the city um, and so forth um, because I want to build community. Um, and, and I think it's a re- really important part of human interaction. So let's bring it back to Ariel again. Uh, so your current project. Previously, you mentioned that one of the reasons that you were here at Triumph and you work at Triumph is because you were you liked their vision, you liked the mission, and you liked the idea to contribute to something that helps. Is there something specifically about Ariel that makes a connection for you that gives you that extra motivation or that extra passion to work on the project or has a, a meaningful connection to you? You know, we, we've all in some part of our lives, we've all been touched by, um, by cancer or another illness to loved ones in our life, whether it be family or, or friends. So I have a story like this in my life where, uh, well, it's not a story, it's a real event, <laughs> where um, a couple of years ago, um, you know, my brother was in Europe. I, I visited him. We were going on a motorcycle trip. And on that trip, um, you know, we discovered that my brother had, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And um, it was testicular cancer. You know, it was a challenging time for us on that trip. And, you know, for the following months, for about a year, where, you know, the entire family had to work through that with my brother, you know, especially challenging time for him. So I can definitely relate to what that's like. Thankfully, he worked through it. He fought. He won. Um, uh, he's in remission. And, you know, props to my brother, Hiran Pereira, for getting through that. I love him. It's amazing. You know, how this relates to what I do in my work at Triumph, and particularly with Ariel, it's, it's contributing to being able to help people in the big picture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Ariel will do so much good when it comes to medical uh, physics and, and the ability to create new isotope that could help to fight with cancer. Absolutely. So thank you very much for sharing that story. That's quite powerful. Thank yeah, you. you're welcome. We talked about your past. We talked about your present. We got to triumph. Um, what's the future like for you? Are you excited about your new position? And why don't you talk to us about what's next for you with, with this new position? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the new position, it's exciting for me because I'm getting back to my roots. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a progressive approach, which is great. And I will slowly get more and more res- responsibility for, um, for leading aspects of the engineering coordination. That's going to start with design components uh, with re- uh, respect to the proton target station. Um, it will also contain uh, build components of the, um, the both target stations. So I'll be heavily involved in coordinating the build for both the electron and the proton target station. And uh, that's a huge challenge, and it's very exciting to me. And I'll really be able to leverage 
a lot of my experience over my career. Yeah, and and really, uh, I I feel like this is a better use of my skills than um, I had in my in my PM role um, to help the project. Uh, so, Asita, let me ask you one final question. Uh, if you could uh, send a message to somebody who is not familiar with Triumph and you want them to get excited and interested about our programs, uh, what would you say to them? That would be to have a strong vision for what wants to do with some area of life. Maybe it, it, it um, I mean, at Triumph, obviously, we have a strong vision about what we're doing. Have a strong vision for whatever that is, and uh, don't worry about how to get there right away. We, we constantly have projects and things that we're working on that are quite ambitious. Sometimes it can be overwhelming to understand how to get there all at once. And, and the reality is for a lot of the big things we do at the lab, we don't know how to get there, and we work on that and, and develop it. And um, it's almost a bit of a, a flow. It, it unfolds as we discover more and more about what we're doing. Um, and the path becomes more clear. Things that may seem overwhelming at first become doable once we sink into them. Fantastic. So Sid, unfortunately, we're out of time. It was an absolute pleasure. I learned a lot from you. Thank you very much for coming here and for being a guest on the podcast. You're most welcome. This has been really enjoyable to share. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, before we go, let me remind you a couple of things. First off, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TriumphLab01. You can also follow me on Twitter at Pietro Giampa. So tweet us or leave us a comment. We're always happy to hear your opinions or your questions. Also, if you like what you heard today and you would like to visit Triumph in person, we do offer free public tours every week. For more info, visit our website www.triumph.ca. That is www.triumph.ca. Now, this podcast is entirely produced by an in-house team here at Triumph. And for that, we want to thank the lab for the enormous support we received for this project. I would also like to thank the Triumph Community Fund for sponsoring this little podcast that could. We certainly wouldn't be here without their support. And finally, a big thank to our production team, Carlo Rodrigo, Stuart Shepard, Ketty Ong. The art for this podcast is provided by Diana Castaneda and Shirley Wu. I am your host, Pietro Gempa, and thanks for listening again. Her coffee break is over. It's time for us to get back to science. So until next time.